Welcome to The Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. Guiding us on the journey today is our host, Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to another edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. I'm Ron Hayes. Thank you so much for being along with us today on this final podcast of the calendar year as we turn our attention to the massive 5,393-page bill that's been passed by Congress just before Christmas. Can you imagine that? They're passing a bill that includes coronavirus or COVID-19 pandemic relief, as well as the omnibus spending bill. All 12 appropriation bills all bundled up into one measure that uh, will be extended out through the end of the fiscal year, September 30th of 2021. Along with all that, uh, you've got several other standalone type of uh, measures of various pieces of legislation that have been bundled up and have been included in this massive piece of legislation. To help us sort it out from a cattle industry perspective is the National Cattlemen's Beef Association's Vice President of Governmental Affairs, Ethan Lane. Ethan Lane joining us today here in just a few moments on the road to rural prosperity from his office in our nation's capital. Today, our road to rural prosperity being brought to you in part by Bank First. Bank First, loyal to Oklahoma, loyal to you. And we'll be back with Ethan Lane in just a few moments. With communities from border to border, Bank First lenders understand the needs of today's agricultural market. Whether you need to purchase land, equipment, or livestock, or maybe need an operating line of credit, call on Bank First. They are a certified lender with the Farm Service Agency and can help with specialized financing when other banks can't. Bank First is proud to serve the needs of the Sooner State's agricultural market. Bank First is loyal to Oklahoma and you. Member FDIC, loan subject to approved credit. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association. They've been representing water and wastewater systems across Oklahoma since 1970. The Oklahoma Rural Water Association was formed to enhance the quality of life in rural Oklahoma through the development and delivery of services and programs for the benefit of ORWA members and the rural people they serve. We are talking today with Ethan Lane out of the Washington, D.C. office of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, uh, a massive bill finally makes its way through Congress. Uh, I just saw a tweet from a Kentucky congressman that said, uh, if you think that this was just a random occurrence one uh, just a few days before Christmas, uh, bless your heart. Uh, it seems like uh, Congress <laughs> like, likes to maybe do this every year almost. Uh, uh, I, I don't know if they consider it a Christmas present or what, but a lot of things in there for the cattle industry. A lot in there for the cattle industry. You know, uh, in my time in Washington, I don't remember. My wife and I were talking about this this morning. We don't remember a year since we've been in Washington that we didn't do this dance leading right up to Christmas and, and kind of the brinksmanship. Uh, but they always seem to get it done at the last possible minute. Um, this year is no exception. Uh, but it, it is uh, uh, it's a big bill. It was so big. They actually had a hard time figuring out how to get it printed yesterday, which delayed the process. Um, but the the finished product has a lot in it for the cattle industry, you know, and because of the way Congress does business anymore, these big omnibus bills end up sort of being a wrap up of how we've spent the whole year. Um, you know, we've been dealing with market shocks from 
uh, from coronavirus and, and, and a lot of those issues with packing capacity, um, dealing with the, the CFAT program and things like that. And, and so it's nice to see a lot of that work we've done throughout the year reflected in this final package. Um, we saw another round of CFAP is going to be included in this specifically targeted at those producers, Ron, that uh, were left out of that of that original CFAP one program. So if they marketed cattle after April 15th up to May 15th, um, they really kind of got the short end of the stick. They had the worst of the market conditions and didn't get those same payments as the pre-April 15th uh, sellers did. This is going to help with that a little bit. It's going to push some additional resources to those producers specifically to kind of get them uh, get them a little more uh, assistance through the, the CFAP program. Um, there's also some language in there that establishes that uh, uh, that federal livestock dealer trust uh, that has been worked on for quite some time. Um, and, uh, the language was originally part of what was called the SALE Act, uh, and, and uh, that was included in there as well. Um, we also got the Ramp Up Act included in this bill, which is a, a processing capacity bill that we've been working on um, with Oklahoma's own Frank Lucas uh, uh, for, for all of this year. Uh, this was a huge win for Congressman Lucas, former Chairman Lucas, um, identifying the need to push some resources out to those state-inspected uh, meat processing facilities that are looking to get into the federal inspection system. That's an expensive process, helping to provide some grants and some money to get them um, into that stream and allow for marketing of, of their product across state lines is a huge win uh, for us. It's something our producers have told us they wanted. So we were really pleased to see that included in this final bill. Um, there's also some money in there to study that issue of processing capacity to look for some other ways to make sure we're continuing to expand and grow capacity where it's needed. And finally, one of the other big wins in here is deductibility for those PPP loans. Uh, if you took a PPP loan that was forgiven during the process, this bill clarifies that will not be included in tax and taxable income. And additionally, it clarifies that deductions are allowed for expenses that were paid with the proceeds of that forgiven PPP loan. So there's a lot in here for producers that engaged in this system throughout the year, took advantage of the resources that were provided uh, in order to kind of weather this COVID-19 pandemic storm we've all been in part of. Now, on the on the CFAP monies, uh, you, you mentioned the fact that this is almost like filling a hole that was there that didn't get addressed really by CFAP too, but but they've, they've kind of Correct. circled back around. It, it, it does. And, and, you know, that's that's really the way to think about this is you had CFAP one. They pushed this thing out. There was an arbitrary cutoff date. Um, everybody in the world, including us, said, wait a minute, you really screwed up here because you left all these producers out that were selling cattle at the height of the pandemic after April 15th. So then they did CFAP two and had those inventory payments. Well, that helped a little bit. But, you know, it helped the cow-calf guys um, more than anybody, which is what we wanted. The cow-calf guys ended up at about $110 on their pairs for the year based on CFAP 1 and 2 combined. Um, but it left those stalkers and backgrounders and feeders that were selling back in April a little bit short still. This helps bring those guys um, up to, to where uh, some of the other sectors were based on sales. So it, you're right. It goes back and it kind of backfills this group that really kind of got missed. They got some money, but they didn't get as much as everybody else did. This helps get them back up a little bit into the into the, 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 the realm with everybody else. From your understanding, how does this fit into the payment limitations? Does it does it have a does it get you know put under CFAP one or where, where does that that end up? 
Great, great question. And and we're, we're working to figure that out this morning. Obviously, the ink isn't even dry on this bill. Um, so we're still picking through the details and working with USDA on some of these. You know, as a reminder, CFAP 1 and CFAP 2 were separate payment limits. So we will see if this is, in fact, another payment limit or if this is going to uh, dovetail into one of the others. It's being called CFAP 3, so my gut would say that it is going to be a new payment limit. Um, but we will uh, we will look into that and make sure we get that information out as soon as we figure it out for ourselves. And if it was a new payment limit, that would be fabulous for a lot of our producers. Well, it would it would it would make the program work the way I think Congress intended it to, and we will certainly be making that argument that if you lump it under one of the previous payment limits, um, it doesn't really do what it was intended to do. Um, so we want to make sure that that's that's set up in the way in a way that makes sense. Um, so we'll we'll be working on that. But I, I would imagine it is a new payment. Now, un- under the omnibus, I-, I know there's a couple of things that were kind of extended that you're you're really been paying a lot of attention to: livestock uh, mandatory reporting and also ELDs. T- tell me about those. Yeah, livestock mandatory reporting uh, has been extended uh, with this funding bill through the end of the fiscal year, so the end of September. Um, that kind of effectively gives us that one year extension that everybody has been asking for. Uh, to continue working on a full five-year reauthorization of livestock mandatory reporting. Uh, that's good news. That gives us some more time. To, uh, you know, some of the other proteins have had some issues this year that they're trying to work on. Obviously, we've been in a robust conversation in the cattle industry on uh, price discovery um, and and uh, the cash trade component. That's something NCBA has been working really hard on. This gives everybody a little more breathing room to keep working on those issues uh, and and get this right in order to get a full five-year reauthorization um, so that that that's a good it's a good development. You know, there was some concern that that might lapse, that the, the that critical reporting mechanism would would no longer be there. We're through that. We've got it reauthorized for or extended, excuse me, for long enough um, that we can go to work now and 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 get a full five year reauthorization completed, hopefully by September thirtieth. Almost under the cover of all this uh, hoopla with the, the COVID relief package, the uh, omnibus and, and the like, separately, Secretary Purdue made a very interesting announcement regarding uh, the intention to move forward with uh, the uh, move from FDA to USDA on gene editing for, for animals. But, you know, y- y- your thoughts on that? Well, you know, this is something we've been talking to them about for quite some time now, the other protein groups as well. Um, you know, we, we always talk about the need to have USDA at the table and in the driver's seat on these issues that are so important for animal agriculture. Um, obviously, FDA has their role as well, but USDA understands what we do and how we do it. Um, so it's them asserting themselves in this conversation is, is a really important step. Um, you know, we're, we're really pleased that they did it. We're grateful to USDA for taking that, taking that step and moving this forward. What it really does, given the timing, is set out a marker for the new administration that, hey, we, we've, we've asserted that this is an important conversation for USDA to be a part of. Um, it's now up to that transition team to pick up that, that ball and run with it. And we'll certainly be working with them to help them understand how important that is. And hopefully they'll, they'll take that cue from, from the outgoing uh, Purdue team and, and, and move forward with it. And, and certainly we'll be advocating for that in the coming months. I know that uh, you've watched carefully the the, tr- the transition team and the announcement, especially this this climate change team that's going to kind of be within the White House and include the EPA administrator that they've uh, they've pro- proposed that will be nominated. But it also includes uh, it looks like former EPA administrator Gina McCarty. She's uh, she's going to be back into the mix again. Uh, y- your thoughts about uh, how the cattle industry will fit into this uh, whole conversation about climate change in the new administration. Well, we've, we've been uh, expecting to see this be kind of the, the marquee issue for this Biden 
team. Uh, so, so there's no surprise there. Um, we also have seen throughout his, his staffing choices so far, a strong, uh, you know, notion towards returning to some of those veterans from the Obama team, uh, and, and, and populating some of these positions with those folks that really know these issues. So, you know, seeing Gina McCarthy return to the fold is also not a surprise. Um, we're, we're pleased at, at some of the choices that he has made, though, uh, with new faces or faces that were involved, um, you know, not as an agency head in, in the Obama years, Michael Regan being one of them. Uh, you know, the reports out of North Carolina during his time uh, leading, uh, leading environmental efforts for the state down there is that he is somebody that agriculture can work with. Um, he, he has been open to, to talking about uh, how animal agriculture fits into some of those conversations. He has not been an adversary. Uh, you know, Ray Starling, I think, put it best. He, he said, look, this is a guy um, who certainly has views that are left of center, uh, but he's somebody that's open and, and, and willing to have a conversation. And, and that's something we can work with. So we're looking forward to, to Michael Regan coming into that spot and, and look forward to having a dialogue with him and see if we can we can have a, a maybe a, a more proactive relationship than we had in the Obama years with EPA um, and, and kind of maybe put some of that past behind us and, and, and find some common ground on some of these issues, whether it be uh, the navigable waters protection rule or, or emissions reporting or whatever else. Um, so, you know, we're, we're going to go into this with an open mind and, and, and certainly try to educate on, on what an important benefit cattle producers provide, specifically cattle producers with the, the, the carbon sequestration benefits and the, the wildlife preservation benefits that grazing provides. We kind of have a unique story to tell in that space. So we're excited to tell that story to them, help them understand how important we are to conservation, how important we are to sustainability. Um, and hopefully they'll, they'll understand that and, and, and work with us moving forward um, rather than trying to be adversarial. So we're, we're going to keep an open mind and, and work with them and see what we can get done. I guess uh, the other the other player then all of this it will be uh, obviously you'll be dealing with quite a bit. Uh, Tom Vilsack returns again, uh, yep. possibly uh, could be the longest serving secretary ever. He, he could, and 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 certainly that that fits right in with what we were talking about a minute ago with with uh, uh, President Elect Biden looking to those those veterans that really have a steady hand uh, to populate this administration, and and obviously Tom Vilsack fits that bill. Uh, he has he has been to the show. He he knows how this agency works. He's going to be able to move in on day one and and really go to work without a without a ramp up period. Um, we have a relationship with him. Everyone else in agriculture has a relationship with him already. Um, you know that's that's probably good news. Um, that means that we're not going to have to relitigate some of these old issues. Hopefully, we can move forward. Um, he can pick right up with some of the ongoing conversations we've all been having in agriculture. Um, and go right to work. So, you know, we're, we're excited to have him back in the, in the helm and, and uh, excited to get started and, and see what this administration wants to focus on. Uh, obviously, climate being one of them, but there are a lot of other issues to tackle as well. Uh, so uh, we're ready to get started. Uh, one, one thing I really remember about Tom Vilsack, uh, kind of toward the end of his term, the, the frustration that he seemed to have regarding uh, mandatory cool. And, and in effect, he said, you know, we, we have no choice. We have to, to uh, uh, you know, kind of own up to the realities of this, uh, of this ruling against, uh, against us in the WTO. We've, we've got to, you know, we, we can't have mandatory cool based on the, the current climate. Well, exactly. And, and that's kind of what I was alluding to in, in saying he's, he's kind of been to the show before. Um, you know, he doesn't have to re, relearn the realities of some of those issues because the rhetoric, as you know, Ron, and as a lot of your listeners know, doesn't always quite match the reality. Um, so that's, that's really positive. You know, we have moved on from, from the MCOOL conversation and, and the, the, the bulk of the industry is focused on product of the USA labeling now. That, that's a, a much more sort of 
uh, immediate concern for us is that open-ended use of labels like product of the USA that don't fit what the consumer's expectation is. And it doesn't allow our producers to really differentiate what is the best beef in the world here in the U.S. in a voluntary way that allows them to grow market share. So we're excited to, to, to you know, engage with a secretary who already has figured out that MCOOL doesn't work and look for some of those ways for us to make sure we're really increasing value for producers here in the United States uh, through some of the labeling that's already available through things like process verified programs at AMS um, and other tools uh, that are underutilized because product of the USA labeling kind of uh, uh, gives them an easy out on the, on the end of the supply chain that they don't have to go to those, to those other tools. We want to make sure there's plenty of focus on those. And, and we're hopeful that uh, incoming Secretary Vilsack is going to be uh, excited to have some of that same conversation. Finally, for your producers out there, uh, as, as you look into 2021, what, what message would you want to give them uh, from a from a Washington, D.C. point of view that uh, that uh, uh, will hopefully, you know, give them something to chew on about to how they can best engage uh, with the new administration, new Congress, uh, everything that's going to be going on in the new year? We, we are going to go into a new administration here that is going to have a lot of competing voices. Uh, this this new this new team is is going to be fighting their own internal battles over the progressive left wing in the Democratic Party versus the more moderate wing. And there's going to be a lot of focus in that conversation on rural America because uh, President-elect Biden and his team did not fare well in rural America. Congress in the last election showed, I mean, those congressional elections showed that Democrats didn't fare well in rural America. Um, that's going to put a lot of focus on what rural America thinks and, and, and how we make a living in industries like the cattle industry. And I would encourage producers to keep looking for ways to be productive in that conversation. Be vocal about what works and what doesn't. Um, know that this administration is going to have days when they're going to take actions that are going to be really hostile to the cattle industry. And they're going to have days when they're going to do things that we might be really happy with. And we're going to have to be able to separate one from the other. We're going to have to be able to take the good and educate on the bad. And it's going to look very different than it looked in the last four years. But we're going to have to keep pushing forward and educating and looking for opportunities in this administration uh, to, to make progress. So I, I guess that's my that's my ask is that, that folks go into this understanding that this is going to be kind of a mixed bag and that's going to have to be kind of how we approach it over the next couple of years. But there's going to be opportunities for some wins, and we're going to look for every one of those we can. Thank you, Ethan. Ethan Lane, who's the Vice President of Governmental Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association in their Washington, D.C. office. That's all for this latest edition of The Road to Rural Prosperity. We traveled via telephone up to our nation's capital to catch up with Ethan Lane as we wrap up our podcast series here in 2020. We'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to you and yours. Thanks for joining us for today's Road to Rural Prosperity podcast. You can join the conversation about how rural Oklahoma can prosper by looking for us on Facebook. And you can find our growing number of conversations on our website, ruralprosperityok.com. The Road to Rural Prosperity podcast series is a production of the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and OklahomaFarmReport.com. Proud to be a part of the family of the Funk Companies.